everybody. I'm Art Stevens, managing partner of the Stevens Group. Welcome to another in the podcast series of PR Masters. This series features luminaries and legends in the world of public relations, and our guest today, Shelley Spector, is no exception. Shelley Spector is the founder and CEO of Spector Public Relations, and she is the founder and CEO of the PR Museum, something that uh, we're going to be chatting about uh, in greater detail today. Uh, get Shelley's views on the PR Museum that she created, what its intents are, what its purpose is, and what, what the vision she has for it uh, going forward. So a little bit about Shelley. Uh, I have to admit uh, up front that Shelley and I used to work together at one point at Lopes and Stevens, where Shelley was in charge of uh, corporate and financial public relations and headed a major group. I would like to think that her working there was a stepping stone to the success that she has achieved subsequently. Uh, but Shelley is actually, uh, as she was at Lopes and Stevens, she is one of the most innovative professionals that I ever worked with, and certainly in the field today. Shelley has produced an, uh, a number of award-winning campaigns for some of the world's largest corporations, including AT&T, Bayer, ITT, Forest Laboratories, Harris Corporation, and Philips. Shelley Spector founded her firm in 1991, and within the first year of operation, her firm was awarded the Gold Creativity in Public Relations Award for its client Embassy Suites. Since then, Shelley's firm has won more than 50 national awards, that's 5-0, for a variety of Fortune 100 companies, and in June of 2018, she was presented with the Phil Dorff Award for Leadership and Mentorship at the PRSA New York Big Apple Awards, and I was present to see that happen. So prior to co-founding her firm, Shelley worked in financial relations for Hill & Knowlton, Ruderfin, and as mentioned, Lopes & Stevens. She also served as press director for the American Stock Exchange. In 1997, she co-founded the Museum of Public Relations, the world's first and only museum that is dedicated to preserving and exhibiting the history of the field. It is a 501c3 educational institution chartered by the New York State Department of Education. Shelley is also the author of Public Relations for the Public Good, and she's co-editor of Diverse Voices, Profiles and Leadership with the PRSA Foundation. So Shelley is a gifted individual who has many, many uh, irons in the fire, you might say, going forward. And I think the first thing that I wanted to ask you, Shelley, uh, having known you for so many years now, is uh, <laughs> the PR Museum. I think it actually, the germ of the idea may have actually started when you were working with me at Lopes and Stevens, but why don't you tell our listeners how it started and why you decided to do it? Well, actually, it was Bernays' idea. As much as I would like to think it was our idea, it was Bernays who asked us to set it up for him in New York. As you know, Art, Barry, my husband and I knew Bernays for about 10 years before his death at age So we're, we're talking about Edward L. Bernays, right, one of the co-founders of public relations? Yes, we are. And um, he was about 94 when we first met him, and we would go up to his house three, four times every year, and we do oral histories of him. Sometimes we just leave the camera on a tripod and have the camera record the things that he was talking about. 
And we have very precious, precious recordings of Brene's that continue to be used both in the classroom and in movies about the history of public relations. And so as he went on in life and as he was coming closer to the end, he asked us if we would set up a museum of public relations in New York City. And when somebody asks you something like that, it's impossible to say no. How could you say no? Even though when he was asking this, Barry was kicking me. And we both knew we had no idea what we were going to be doing with this. We had no idea how to manage or market a museum and all that nonprofit stuff. Uh, but we said, we'll figure it out. And so when Bernays died in March of 1995, the family invited us up to their house in Cambridge. And uh, along with the librarian of the Library of Congress, Barry and I walked from room to room, and whatever the librarian from the Library of Congress did not want, the family gave to us to start the museum. And we you know, filled up the truck as much as we could with, with Eddie's stuff. And uh, here it is today, 25 years later, all that stuff, or most of it, is in our museum. Wow. So, um, so obviously this has been a calling card for you. And um, so what have, what have you learned about the history of PR, not only from Edward L. Bernays, but obviously from the, the many other exhibits that you, know, you have, uh, you have uh, shown at the museum and uh, the various individuals who make up the PR industry? What have you learned about the history? What, 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 what distinguishes you know, the history of PR from other professions? Hmm. That's a, that's a great question. I have a couple of things to say about that. One is that um, the practice of public relations has not changed in 100 years. Ever since it was created and called public relations, we're still doing the same stuff. And everybody thinks, oh, it's been you know, a revolution because of social media. Well, one time I was present in a classroom with Harold Burson. Somebody asked Harold, how do you think that PR has changed because of social media? He says, it hasn't. And all my years working, it hasn't. Social media is just another channel, just like TV was just another channel, or just like radio was just another channel. So... Yes, I think we kind of do different things during the day to get our message out. We're no longer faxing press releases, right, or using the telegraph to get the word out. We're using a computer. Um, so I think that there are so, there's so much to see when you're looking through the campaigns of Ivy Lee, Edward Bernays, Paul Garrett from GM, and Arthur Page from AT&T in the sophistication and intensity that they applied the craft, the thinking that they had to do, the strategy. And remember, these guys all dealt with the chairmen or CEOs of their clients or the companies they were working for. And they were doing this stuff for the first time, right? Everything that yeah. Arthur Page was doing at starting 1927 for AT&T he was doing for the first time. There were no case studies to look back at. So one of the surprising things in studying the history of PR and, and digging up new information and new people is the number of people of color and the number of women that we have gotten to know in history that nobody knew existed. 
Nobody knew that there was a, an African-American man named B. Park Gibson who started, who was the first black man in the 1930s to open a PR firm. Nobody knew that Inez Kaiser, a black woman in Kansas City, opened up a PR firm in 1957, or that there was somebody named Moss Kendricks, and there were all these Latino PR pioneers that we celebrated last week. Th this is a new area of public relations and a, and a new way to tell the story of our history. And so I think that uh, providing a more diverse and inclusive history is, is, has become a main, uh, a main um, purpose of, of why we have a museum. So that's interesting. So in other words, there, there was some degree, obviously not in, uh, as much as we would like, even today, but there was some degree of diversity, you know, where members of the uh, African-American community uh, really joined the public relations profession. Uh, but uh, as you put it, uh, in this current day and age, nobody really ever uh, remembered them or knew about them. And is that one of the reasons why the museum is, uh, is obviously uh, developing a history that reflects how diverse it, it could have been at one point? Yeah, absolutely. Because you know how how this this whole thing started when um, I had um, the a group from George Washington University come up to the museum when it was at Baruch, and uh, one of the African American young women sitting at the front row was looking around. She says, "How come I don't see anybody here who looks like me?" Mm. And that hit me mm. like a ton of bricks. That there were no black people, there were no Latinos, there were no Asians, hardly any women. And, um, you know, then we started researching. And sure enough, there's a whole history that is not being taught in the colleges and that is not known to people of color today. And we have found through all our, our events and exhibits of all of these PR pioneers that nobody really knew about beforehand that the young people coming up today feel a much stronger connection to the industry to know that there is a heritage of Latinos and Asians and women and, and African-Americans that contributed so much to the development of this industry. Isn't that interesting? I don't think I would have known that either. Um, so you got into this actually at the urging of Edward L. Bernays, who is uh, one of the early pioneers of public relations. Um, and so what skills and capabilities do you feel that you personally brought to this uh, endeavor, you know? Uh, in other words, why you and not somebody else? Well, why why me is because I happen to be at the right place at the right time, you know, getting right. to know Bernays and, um, <clears throat> you know, winning his trust and going up there and showing how the interest. But I've always had a big interest in history anyway, and more so in visiting Bernays because he had such an impact on the 20th century, and I could see history unfolding before my eyes and, you know, going from room to room in this house. But I think that I have a, a personality trait that often works for me and sometimes does not. I take risks. And I'm not afraid to do that. And sometimes I just I do it and, and I get hurt by it. But in this case, I had to say, yes, let's make a museum and just figure it out as we go along. After all, 
I really figured out public relations and crisis management for the very first time as he went along, as did Bernays and as did the other pioneers. So here we'll figure out how to set up and run a museum. Secondly, I, I think that I knew that we were going to be making news with this museum. And uh, I have a very good uh, journalistic background, I think, in, uh, you know, I was a major in journalism and uh, got my grad degree in broadcast journalism. And I love news writing and I love news making. I knew that this museum would start to make a lot of news. And I was very excited about that. It is a very creative endeavor for, for me. Um, I have a, you know, we have a lot of social media channels and I just love digging up new information, finding new things, making people uh, surprised as you're surprised today and learning about all the people of color in our history we never knew mm. about. So I think that the curiosity that, that we have has, has kept this machine going and always interesting to the students who come here. You you have a lot of spin-offs uh, with respect to the PR uh, museum. Uh, is it officially the Museum of PR or the PR Museum, Shelley? Well, the PR the, Museum the is a quick way of saying it. Yeah, it's okay. a Museum of Public Relations. Okay. So, you know, you have uh, obviously you've, you've done, like, seminars and you put panel dis mm -hmm. uh, discussions together. You've published books. Can you tell us about some of the additional activities aside from the pure, you know, museum itself that, that you feel are, you know, are relevant to the, to the goal and vision of the PR museum and uh, maybe some examples of the kinds of things that you have done uh, as spinoffs? Mm-hmm. One of the proudest things that I, I, I'm – that we've done um, is the first black PR history event. Uh, and we're mm. going to be having our fifth one uh, this coming January. So every year we have annual diversity events, and these events just get more and more popular every time we do them. And it is the first time that young Latino or African-American or young women could see that there was a very prominent history of people who look like them and that they never knew about before. So this, these annual diversity events on the occasion of the 50th anniversary of Stonewall, we had the first LGBTQ event, which was, your mind was blown at that event. It was just fantastic because um, people in the audience, you know, young, successful PR professionals who never saw other gay people in the business, who were leaders, heads of, of agencies, were there talking about the experience of being gay in the PR business. And that was really breakthrough. I mean, we knew that we were going to be making news with that and getting that issue exposed, which was so important to do. So those are our annual diversity events. We also have a, a summer school series that runs year-round. We just called it summer school because uh, that's a fun name to call it when it's February. And uh, those are when a practitioner can teach a class on a subject that the kids will never get to study in school, right? Or um, an area, a specialty area of PR. Let's say you're in consumer products, but you've always wanted to be in pharma. Well, here you can taste what pharma tastes like, you know, where you can, you can experience a little travel PR, financial or government. And, think, you know, just 
test out different areas, different specialties of PR, things that you probably won't be able to do until you're in an agency and, and is, a, is able to move to another account group. So we give students, young professionals, a taste of those specialty areas. And you mentioned our book publishing. So the first time, um, you know, that was yet another big risk because we had never published books before. But of course, Barry is a graphic designer, and I knew that we could figure out how to do this. So we were asked by the biographer of Ivy Lee, whose name is Ray Hebert, who said he, you know, it was the 50th anniversary of the uh, publication of Cordier to the Crowd. And we said, what a terrific opportunity to reprint this book. He asked us to do it. We couldn't turn him down, just like we couldn't turn down Ed Bernays. And we said, we'll publish it. That was our first book, and it was just terrific to be able to reissue the biography that had been out of print for 50 years. Mm. And um, so since then, we've uh, produced five other books, and we have two more on the docket. And um, they're all really good. And extraordinarily meaningful and satisfying to have put out there for for the industry. That's marvelous. Gosh, you know, it's really expanding. Let me ask you this. You know, a lot of our listeners, Shelley, are 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 out of New York. They're throughout the country, I'm pleased to say. Uh, if people come to New York and wanted to visit the uh, PR Museum, what do they need to do? What, 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 give, give, give them some instructions on what they need to do to come see all the artifacts that you have collected. Well, uh, we prefer if people give us two weeks advance warning because the popularity has grown a great deal. And, sure. um, right. So there's, if you go on the homepage of peermuseum.org, you can click on visits and sign up for a visit there and let great. us know how many people you want and all that. Um, and then, you know, half of the people that come up here are find yes. us because they're tourists walking around lower Manhattan, and we actually come up on Google Maps. Ah, okay. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. So people just walk in yeah. from all over so, the world. But it's best to make an appointment so that, you know, they, they can get a, what, a personalized tour? Uh, is, would that sure. be one of the reasons? A personalized yes. tour? And, um, yes. and obviously some mm -hmm. expert background on, on you know, on the uh, centuries-long history of public relations. So, Correct. listeners, That's go right. to the website of PR Museum and schedule your next visit, to the, your first visit, if, if that's what it is, to the PR Museum uh, when you're in New York. Uh, question about uh, Edward L. Bernays. Uh, it all started with him. What, what, what are his greatest contributions in terms of the history of public relations? Well, he was the first one. You know, he wasn't the first guy to do PR. The first guy to really do PR was Moses, but that's for another conversation. <laughs> you know, PR, publicity, press agency, whatever you want to call it, has been done, you know, since the founding of civilization. But it was Bernays who made it into a profession, and he was the one to call it Council of Public Relations. And, you know, he was the he also as you know he was the double nephew of Sigmund Freud so he grew up with Sigmund Freud being talked about at the dinner table every night and he developed a lot of a passion and understanding of what makes people tick 
And at the same time, there was the whole field of social psychology, which was coming up. So Bernays started off with doing, he was the first to ever do research about his issues before he conducted the campaign. And that it's the same kind of thing we do today. There was no Gallup poll that he could use and no research organizations. He had to do the research himself of people's attitudes and then from that figure out how to change those attitudes so perhaps they'll buy the product that was the client. And um, he was just so creative. He, did, he created ideas out of thin air um, that were so not obvious that you know, today these become the famous case studies that we use to encourage our young people to think out of the box. So, Shelley, let's turn to you now. Um, you know, um, you obviously uh, are uh, double tasking, if you will. Uh, you run a public relations and a successful public relations firm which you started in the 90s. Um, you obviously also run, uh, with, help, with some help from a bunch of friends, I, I assume, the PR <laughs> Museum. So how did you get into public relations uh, initially? I started doing public relations when I was an undergrad at the University of Rhode Island. And uh, I saw an ad that they put out. They needed somebody who could write. And I got the job, and so I spent two years as a public relations assistant in college. And uh, I was also an editor of our newspaper. So by the time I got out of school, I had, a, a, I had a, an album of byline printed stories. And the people who were most amazed by this were public relations firm owners because they were not used to seeing so many students who had this many published articles. But in truth, uh, during that period of time, I, I did try to get a, a job as a, um, as a news writer for a radio or TV station, and I just could not get a job, and I went and I found a job in, in public relations, and I loved it. I am so much happier that I'm in public relations instead of being a news writer on a radio station. You have no idea. Well, you know, uh, you you have become a, a role model in the PR agency sector. So, I am I am pleased and gratified, you know, having worked with you, that you chose public relations instead of uh, news writing. Um, but you have become a role model, and you've you've become you've received many awards as a result. And ultimately, you know, after working with some significant agencies, you, uh, you started your own. How did this come about? Um. Well, it was, I wasn't intending to start an agency. I was intending at the time to spend more quality time with my two young children who were then two and three years old. I wanted to be just a, a you know, a counselor working out of my house. But what happened was Barry and I decided to take our kids for a vacation. We figured, well, they're walking around now and they can speak a little. You know, they're old enough to go on vacation with us. And when we got to the hotel in Palm Beach, this was an embassy suite, and, um, you know, my son ran, you know, crawled under the coffee table and punched out the glass from the coffee table. He didn't get hurt. But my daughter at the same time was playing with the matches. Then they uh, poured hot water 
into a cup and then put it in the microwave. I mean, things were, you know, one after the other, they were creating havoc out of this room. And I said to Barry, <laughs> why did we even come on vacation? Why did we, I mean, this is just so stressful. And Barry said to me, maybe there's a marketing opportunity here. So we spent the night writing what you would call today a PowerPoint, but on one of those little tan embassy suites pads. And we wrote about changing the way the hotel was marketing to the family market and uh, proposed that in every of the 103 embassy suite hotels in North America that they would have a second floor devoted to families with young children. So the next morning, I was on my way out to tennis, and I saw the manager of the hotel, a guy I presumed to be the manager, and I went up and I said, I have an idea for you I'd really like to let you know about. And, um, you know, I, I stood in a room in my tennis clothes pitching this idea, and he said, when can we do the press conference? So I said, how's June 15th? And and that was March, so I figured at that moment we have the account. Oh, my God, how are we going to do this? And uh, on June 15th, we had a major press conference, including not just the local newspaper and TV affiliates, but we had a hundred travel agents there. Oh and when we presented the idea of the first childproof hotel in the world, they stood up and applauded. Wow. And it was, yeah, it was tremendously successful. It's an obvious idea that just takes, I guess, a mother to, with a you know, marketing mind to understand how to make hotel rooms you know, not just fun because, you know, kids who are two or have other ideas of fun than what we think up for them, but safe. So the parents aren't relentlessly taking things out of their hands. <laughs> and um, I, I started, so here I was hoping that I could spend some time with my kids at home and just being a PR counselor. Instead, now I was on the road every single week setting <laughs> embassy suites up to be childproof around the country. So I was never home as a result. <laughs> so that, 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 in essence, was your first major client? Yes. Well, as, as, and we, it was funny. We, when we were driving, when we were flying back to New York, Barry and I were just in shock thinking, oh, my God, we have an account that we didn't even, you know, didn't come down to Florida to get an account, but now we have an account and we have to do this. That means we have to start hiring people and get an organization <laughs> together. That's so funny. And, so yeah. you've and all, then, go and ahead, then I'm sorry. Go ahead. A, I'm sorry. You know, so a year later, we had a, a little firm and uh, we decided to apply for the Sipper Awards, which, as you know, became the Sabre Awards with Paul right. Holmes. Paul had never heard of us. And you know, he said, who are these people? And we we came uh, and we were just the smallest agency in the room, and uh, he he calls my name when it comes to the travel and leisure award, and then right after that was the best in show award. So I had, I had won, well we had won two of these Sipper trophies that night, and that that started us off. Wow, that's amazing, Shelley. That's an amazing story. I know um, 
for years you have worked with, I, I, mean, I mentioned some of the major uh, corporations and brands that you've worked with over the years. One of them, of course, was AT&T, and you, you had a, a, a wonderful working relationship uh, with the, the woman who I, I gather mm-hmm. became the first woman to head uh, a, a, a major corporate uh, communications capability in terms of head of head mm-hmm. of corporate communications that was uh Lori um mm-hmm. and uh you want to say something about your working relationship with her and AT&T I forget her last name Lori No Marilyn Lori I'm sorry Lori's her last, her last name Marilyn Lori right sorry right Marilyn Lori was you yeah, from Marilyn Lori who obviously is very right. renowned in the industry you want to say a word oh, about that Yeah Sure the first time I met Marilyn I was giving a keynote speech to the international PR community who'd come into Parsippany, New Jersey, uh, to have a, you know two days of meetings. And uh, she came over and she sat next to me, put her feet up on my chair. I'd never met her before, and started talking to me about how she wants to urge her people to think big, think out of the box, be creative. And that's what I was going to be talking about anyway. But here I was finding somebody who had the same New York Jewish accent as I had. And I felt like instantly this rapport with her that was just amazing. I'd never felt it before. I'd also never met such a high up woman at that point. I mean, as you remember, Art, in, you know, back then in the late 80s, early 90s, there were no women who were officers of a company, who were PR leaders. And she just was so creative, so compelling, could, you know, own the room of hundreds of white men from the Midwest. <laughs> she was remarkable. And what an inspiration. Um, she became my mentor. And um, we we developed a very close working relationship for years and years. And um, she is very missed in this industry. She died too young. And uh, but we forever remember her. Every year we do a an event called PR Women Who Changed History. And we always talk about Marilyn and what she accomplished. That's great. So, Shelley. Uh, You've been in, in the field a while now. T- uh, tell us how you feel that public relations has changed uh, or not changed during your tenure in the agency business and, and what you envision to be its future. I think one of the things you said a few moments ago, you know, is that, you know, social media uh, and its derivatives are really, you know, part of the new channels for uh, information and communications. And so, and so, uh, that's remained the same, you know. That uh, maybe it's gone from print to broadcast, which is still, which are still around, you know, to internet and online and social media and so on. But what, what else do you see as uh, the major changes in our industry during your long tenure in the in the, in the business? <laughs> long tenure. Um, I'd say the number of, you know, the imbalance of, of women in this business. I mean, when, when I first got in, there were you know, I hardly, as I mentioned, you know, Marilyn was the highest ranking woman that I knew. It was very unusual to see other professional women, women when you got on the Eastern shuttle in the morning going to Washington or when you walked into mm-hmm. a boardroom. 
and and now it's just women when you know everywhere I think that we went overboard in the number of women that employ that the industry employed, so that's very very different. The dynamic is very very different, and there are benefits and disadvantages to, to that. And uh, but I'm you know I'm still very proud that women have been able to rise to leadership roles in both the agency world and as CCOs in, in corporate life. So that's a very major change. Um, but as I mentioned before, as far as the practice of public relations, we're still pretty much doing the same thing. We just have other ways of doing it. And uh, I, I think that it's an adjunct to everything else that we're doing. I think, you know, and maybe because um, I don't, we don't do consumer PR. We do B2B or B2G. Uh, you know, we handle defense companies, technology companies, financial companies. And so our reliance on social media is very different than other agencies who may be, you know, more consumer related. But I do think that we've got to look back at the roots, the fundamentals of public relations before the Internet and, and learn what what made magic 100 years ago when they had to create big ideas to make news. You couldn't get publicity unless you made news back then. And it took a big idea to make news. And, uh, and you know, unless you had that, that news quality to it, no reporter is right mine was going to be writing about your client. So that, you know, that creativity, I think, really means still means as much as it's ever meant and that clients expect that clients expect big ideas still Shelley just a few more questions um, and one of them has to do with the uh, the uh, website for your public relations firm specter public relations uh, the first thing that greets you you know when when uh, you know, when you link onto your website uh, is the bold statement make news not noise. Mm -hmm. Do you want to say something about that? I I think that a lot of a lot of agencies will just tend to, and this was very true, especially when before social media, would just send out millions of press releases that weren't connected to one another, that were just very um, uh, self-adoring, promotional, and uh, there's so much even more clutter today and so the noise is just another word for clutter and we want to be certain that what we're doing uh, is laser laser focused on positioning the client in a newsworthy way and developing issues for him or her to be positioned as an expert on so instead of doing lots and lots of little things or you know throwing up a bunch of stuff and see what's going to stick. We'll do fewer quality things that will make the client stand out above his competitors. Hmm. So, Shelley, um, how would you describe your style of management? It's really it was very much. I learned a lot from you, Art. <laughs> oh gosh. You were one of my best bosses of all time. You you <laughs> just let me have the freedom to go, create ideas, present them. Uh you gave me a very long leash. You know, sometimes I was strangled by that leash, but as long as <laughs> the clients were happy, you you know, keep going and that's 
um, I, I feel that it's important for everybody to develop independently and um, to, you know, not after a while when he gets comfortable with the with the work to go off and be and take risks, take creative risks, and that's the only way you're going to become a good public relations person. Thank you for the plug. <laughs> that's right. Um, <laughs> so. You obviously have many years ahead of you, you know, doing what you're doing. Um, my two final questions. One is, how do you want to be remembered? Uh, and two, where do you see Shelley Spector in the years ahead? Hmm. How I want to be remembered is for the impact I, I may have had on, on some young people that, that I've worked with or had at the museum. You know, if I can, if I see somebody I worked with 20 years ago who's now so successful, a VP at an agency, or you know, heading up Marcom at a corporation, it makes me feel so good to know that I had something to do with that, possibly. So, I hope that the people who I've helped make successful will remember that I was one part of that. I do hope that's true, and I hope that they, in turn, have learned how to make other people successful and have had to help people professionally. What do I, and where do do I wanna, see how do you myself? Want to be yes, where do you see <laughs> yourself now in the years ahead? <laughs> oh, boy. I just hope I have a little more time on the weekends to <laughs> go back to the tennis courts and um, ride horses. <laughs> um, you know, right, right now the weekends are still, you know, uh, half filled with with work, what you'd call work, and um, I spend a lot of time doing social media on the weekends for the museum. I just enjoy it so much that I don't call it work, but still, it is. You know, it's not play, and uh, I just hope that in in a few years I'll have more time to devote to the things that I really enjoy doing, like. Um, riding horses and playing tennis and riding my bicycle. Well, Shelley Spector, you, you deserve more time for yourself because you've given so much of your time to the profession and to the people who work in our profession. And I'd like to thank you on behalf of our listeners today for taking us into your life. Much, much appreciated. You have a lot to share, and we're very grateful for your participation today. So on behalf of our listeners, I would like to thank you all for joining us today and sharing your views with us, Shelley. Um, and I think you've made some, uh, you know, some uh, legions of fans out there, uh, more so than ever before. And I'd like to thank all of you who are tuning in today uh, in another of the Stevens Group PR Masters podcast series. So until next time, I am Art Stevens, and I wish you all the very best. Mm-hmm.